Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thank you for listening. Frequent listeners of the show are certainly familiar with SoftBank, the Japanese wireless and technology company. SoftBank is the majority owner of Sprint, which is trying to merge with T-Mobile. We've done several episodes uh, about that deal, and we've also done other episodes about SoftBank selling Supercell to Tencent, being interested in buying the cable company Charter, buying the semiconductor company Arm for $30 billion. They have appeared quite often in these episodes. SoftBank seems to have its hands in almost everything when it comes to M&A. And now, Masayoshi Sun's Japanese company is targeting Uber. My colleague Eric Newcomer has been diligently breaking news on SoftBank's interest in taking a stake in the ride-sharing leader for the past few months, and he joins us now from San Francisco. Eric, has the city been consumed by wildfire yet? <laughs> it's, you know, from San Francisco, the city, it feels okay. I think I've sort of grown used to the smell of smoke, and you can't notice it anymore, but that first... I guess it was yesterday morning, uh, you know, it was crazy to wake up and it smelled like things were burning. Yeah, yeah, that's not really a comforting thing to, to like, no, like, well, it's yeah. been burning for so long that <laughs> I I, <clears throat> I love the, the fresh smell of napalm in the morning. Is that the Vietnamese? Right, exactly. Anyways, uh, so let's talk about SoftBank and Uber. Let's start at the very beginning for people that are not really familiar with, uh, with this uh, transaction. What got us here to the point that SoftBank, uh, you know, is, is interested in Uber? Well, the beginning's super fun because they're almost sort of competing narratives still. Um, So, I mean, basically, you need to know the context. Obviously, Uber, you know, has all these problems this year, sort of all this sort of uh, infighting scandal, you know, users deleting the app as part of Delete Uber and sort of one thing after another. And so then SoftBanks sees sort of this vulnerable Uber and sees it as an opportunity to sort of get in when people are underestimating the company, especially after on June 20th, Travis Kalanick steps away. But there's sort of in the in that June period, sort of in the lead up um, to Kalanick's decision to resign, SoftBank seems to have talked to Benchmark at one point and potentially others about this deal. So, 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 so let's uh, just for for people that maybe have not been following the Uber thing all that closely. Uh, The idea here is that uh, Uber got into a lot of different trouble on a number of different issues here. There's sort of some PR trouble with uh, uh, employees at the company dealing with uh, harassment issues. Right. They literally brought in Eric Holder to investigate themselves for sexual harassment, which ended up firing 20 people. Yeah. There's this lawsuit going on with Waymo, which is sort of within Google, about uh, potentially Uber stealing technology for for ride sharing applications and then sort of a countersuit so that's something that's going on there was also that video that you got the between <laughs> Travis right. uh, Kalanick and, and and the Uber driver sort of going at it uh so there were a whole bunch of issues here and then and then you mentioned Benchmark they are a venture capitalist firm and one of the earliest investors in Uber what what uh size stake do they own of Uber they're the largest Uber they're holder, the largest Uber holder. Okay, right. right. So, so big yeah. Uber holder benchmark. Yeah. Uh, and then there, there starts to be some tension, right, between Benchmark and Travis Kalanick, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Benchmark brings Travis down. I mean, they are so they're you know Benchmark's board member sort of for many years was Bill Gurley, who's you know this sort of storied venture capitalist, sort of tall Texan 
dude. And I mean, his his firm sort of is the sort of champion of the effort to oust Kalnick. They're mostly operating sort of behind the scenes. So um, the, the timeline is sort of, you know, Eric Holder, like we mentioned, produces this report sort of investigating Uber. That gets that report goes to the board. The board gets rid of Emil Michael, Kalanick's deputy, and then Kalanick himself decides to take a leave of absence, sort of in this sort of stealthy negotiation with the board. Then Benchmark, you know, Gurley, and Menlo Ventures, Lowercase, which is Chris Saka's fund, um, and a couple others, uh, Fidelity, basically agree to ask Travis to resign. And then two Benchmark partners, uh, Peter Fenton and Matt Kohler, literally fly to see Travis. He happens to be in Chicago at the time. I think he was interviewing a chief operating officer candidate and present him with this demand that he resign with, you know, sort of documenting some of his problems. And I think they say he has like three hours to make a decision or they're going to go public, you know, with their problems. So Travis does resign, shockingly. By the end of the day, sort of it comes out this June 20th that he's he's out. And then, of course, Benchmark ends up suing Uber anyway, because on that day, Travis agreed to hand over to sort of give the board the authority to approve. He controls his own board seat and then two others. So he resigns as CEO, but he does not resign off the board. Well, Yeah, and he hadn't agreed to resign off the board, but he basically resigned to sort of relinquish a lot of his authority over the board besides, you know, his own seat there. Okay, so... Uh, that all happens in June. Then in July, that's when you lead the charge on breaking the first story that SoftBank may be interested in taking a stake in Uber. H- how does that stake even become available to buy? Uber is a large private company. It's a little unusual that a large stake in a private company would be acquired in sort of the way SoftBank is interested in doing it. Explain that. Right. I mean, the key thing here is that most of this is sort of meant to be secondary. This is SoftBank buying out existing shareholders. So, But Uber's had a lot of control over that process. So it's been SoftBank sort of courting major holders, which include, you know, Benchmark, these early investors, and obviously Travis Kalanick is an early holder, and saying, you know, maybe we could make a deal if we buy out some of your stakes. So it's the idea there being that Benchmark may be unhappy with the company now and maybe wanting to sell? Well, that yeah, that, I think that's that's a huge question. There's there's so much spin right now because there's and we'll get to this, but you know, there are all these pricing questions. We I think we have yet to see how much Benchmark will sell and sort of how much this was all driven by their interest to sell. I mean, fr- from talking to sources, I think Benchmark's main priority is honestly sort of governance rather than sort of being motivated to sell. I think the buyers, there's certainly a lot of early investors who do want to sell and sort of big early employees. I mean, you think, you know, Garrett Camp, Uber's co-founder, you know, will be massively rich after this deal goes down, presuming he sells. But, But a lot of these big holders, no matter what happens here, are likely going to hold way more shares after the deal, then, uh, you know, even if they sell. So if I sell, you know, 20% of my stake, you know, I still have a huge, you know, I have for, for Benchmark, I have billions tied up in Uber still. So right. their, their priority has been to sort of 
use this SoftBank deal to get the governance changes they want, which is basically to restrict Travis's role in the company going forward. Okay, so why is SoftBank interested in buying a stake in Uber? Well, they, you know, they've been investing in ride-hailing companies all over the world. I mean, they're a major DD investor. Uh, they were in Ola and have doubled down on that somewhat. So they, you know, Masa's long believed in this space, but hasn't, but has basically placed bets on all of Uber's competitors. Um, but you know, Uber is sort of the global leader, and so I think there was a strong desire to find a way in. Um, but but you know, he also likes a deal, and when Uber is on the ropes, is a good time to to pursue this this deal. You know, Uber has a lot of unhappy investors, so there's certainly people who just want to get out and make sure that they lock in their massive venture returns. So it was just a moment of vulnerability in a space that SoftBank was already eager um, to to make investments in. Was there any sort of uh, weirdness or conflict of interest in the fact that SoftBank has been investing in Uber competitors and now wants to buy into Uber itself? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, implicit in this whole situation, and I, I guess I should say explicit because I think Masa said publicly that he was looking at whether, you know, to invest in a U.S. ride sharing company. So there's this question whether they could just walk away and invest in Lyft if this Uber deal fell apart. Lyft main, Lyft is Uber's main. Exactly. So, and, and, you know, the ride sharing industry is seen as very sort of zero sum competition. You know, money that I raise goes to recruit drivers and riders away from you. So if, you know, if we're talking about a, billion dollar swing in primary investment from Uber to Lyft, you know, that that would be a terrible situation for Uber. And then, you know, if if Lyft becomes part of the soft bank sort of conglomerate almost, then there's the potential that Lyft sort of continues to partner with DD, sort of Ola, Grab in Southeast Asia. Whereas if Uber is able to sort of get into this mega deal, then perhaps that creates an opening to sort of cut some truces around the world, which is something they, you know, really want to do. They, they're losing, you know, certainly hundreds of millions of dollars a year in India. And, uh, and that, that's not a situation they want to see continue. So I think there's a hope that this deal will proceed or, you know, other, other deals could follow if this goes through. Gotcha. So, the, so, so that's why uh, Uber might be driven to take this deal with SoftBank. There may be some strategic logic in that, not only for themselves, but blocking their competitor from theoretically doing a similar deal with SoftBank. Let's let's talk about Uber's business for a few minutes. Uh, you mentioned they're losing a lot of money in India. Uh, what what is this company's finances like? We well, obviously we only know so much because they're still a private company. But what do we know? How much money? Do they lose? Where are they successful? Where are they not? Yeah. So we thankfully we know some of the major numbers because uh, myself and others had sort of broken, gotten investor numbers for several quarters last year. So finally in the fourth quarter of 2016, they actually gave us the numbers. And since then, they've basically handed out financials to reporters uh, for the for the next two quarters. They haven't announced Q3 yet. So let's Q2. What we know is that they lost 645 
million in the quarter. They made 1.75 in net revenue, which is the number you should care about for revenue. That's Uber's take of the driver fare. So that's after drivers have been paid. That's how much revenue they're taking. Um, I'm pulling up my story on this. That's 1.75 billion. billion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that's up 17 percent from the prior quarter. And then the super top line, like the GMV number, the bookings number, um, what's in here? It's 8.7 billion in Q2. So that that 8.7 is you know like the total amount of economic value they're driving, and you know Uber has the power to try to extract a larger and larger share of that sort of top bookings number um, and and give drivers less of it. So a lot of investors will look at the bookings number to think, okay, this is the scale of the business we're talking about. So to think in super broad strokes about the financials, I mean, last year bookings were like 20 billion. If we're at, you know, 9 billion this quarter, you know, growing steadily, you could imagine bookings, you know, are... 40 billion this year or bookings, you know, maybe even more than that. If they're if they're 40 to 50 billion, you're basically saying, you know, that that gets to be around exactly what the secondary valuation we're talking about in the SoftBank deal. So there's a pretty clear translation from the top line bookings to being sort of roughly around how the company's shares are being valued. And how does that translate into a valuation for this company? Well, obviously, the valuation of this company swings depending on how much money it raises and then what the secondary market indicates. SoftBank perhaps sees this company as vulnerable right now, maybe has the valuation dipped a little bit from its peak, and that's why it feels like now is a good time to buy. What do we know about that? Yeah, so I want to make a couple points here. One, I mean, I think people underestimate the genius of how Uber's valuation has been constructed. They've basically over the years made it very hard for existing shareholders to sell and have controlled all sort of selling through the company. Meanwhile, they've taken on new money and exerted a ton of influence over the valuation. So basically, in every way they can, they've pressured the valuation up and up and up and up. And so today, you know, the last round valuation is, you know, nearly 70 billion sort of post money. So now that's sort of pre-SoftBank deal. Now we look at the SoftBank deal, and like everything else on Uber's valuation, it's super uh, <laughs> gamed. So there's going to be a primary investment of $1 billion to $1.25 billion at that nearly $70 billion valuation. That, that price seems sort of intended just to sort of allow Uber to maintain this sort of feeling that it's still a valuable company, hasn't diminished, hasn't backslid. And that's super important, particularly to investors who don't want to look silly for investing in this la- the previous round, which includes the Saudi and Arabian People's Investment Fund, right? Is it P- It's the PIF. Am I getting that right? Do you remember? It's Or the Public Investment Fund. I think that's what it is. And so the Saudis are invested a huge chunk in Uber directly, and then invested a huge chunk in SoftBank's Vision Fund, which is going to provide the funds for this deal. So they have a strong incentive to see the valuation hold, right? So that's that's why we're getting this primary one billion at the you know sixty nine billion. 
That, gotcha. Right. Okay. So that's part one. And then part two is the secondary investment. The price is still getting set. You know, it's been reported anywhere from 40 to 50 billion. It seems now that they've got a new CEO and Dara Khosrowshahi, uh, who is Ex- Expedia, the sort of valuation has been creeping up as people seem more and more bullish. But happy to talk. I mean, there are a lot of questions around how that price will get set. We're sort of in the middle of figuring out what the process is going to be and where the final price is for the secondary. Okay, so so a few things I want to go over there for people because yeah. it, it's a lot. Get. It's super complicated. It's a lot yeah. of information. So first of all, you mentioned briefly. I, I actually didn't realize this. The money is coming from the Vision Fund at this stage, not SoftBank parent company. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Vision Fund for people that may not remember is this huge private equity fund that SoftBank leads and pumps in billions of dollars to, but also gets money from other sovereign wealth funds mainly, and even a little bit of money from other tech companies like Apple and Qualcomm and uh, you know a handful of others that have kicked in, let's say, a billion dollars. The whole fund is a $100 billion private equity fund, and SoftBank has already uh, uh, used this money to make a bunch of small investments in many, many, many different tech companies. Um, so the way this will work uh, is SoftBank, from my understanding, and this is where I maybe you can help me clarify this, Eric, this will be a tender offer in the secondary market. So you mentioned the one to $1.25 billion in Uber's last valuation of about $70 billion. That aside, SoftBank wants to acquire something of in the range of like 14 to 17% yep. of the entire company from a secondary tender offer where existing shareholders will have the right to sell to SoftBank. Now, what happens if not enough shareholders agree to sell their shares because they don't want to? Yeah. So the, I think the process that everyone seems to think, the tender process that, that seems likely to happen, you know, SoftBank offers a We'll buy shares at 45, and then they have this reverse Dutch auction. You see how many people are willing to sell at that price. If they get enough, they end it. If not, they raise the price and see how many people are willing to sell at that higher price until they get enough to find their ownership stake. I think that's that's the lo- most likely outcome. Now, we're sort of stuck right now because Benchmark – I don't know if you saw this. Benchmark has – sort of stalled the deal a little bit because they have what's called a right of first refusal or a rofer and that gives them the power to basically buy into the deal themselves if they don't like the price. So there's this whole negotiation going going right now behind the scenes around what the price is going to be and sort of how the price is going to get set um, and Benchmark's trying to sort of undermine sort of SoftBank's uh, leverage here around sort of unilaterally setting the price. Interesting, because I initially thought that the whole idea of why SoftBank thought it could do this was that it thought Benchmark was a seller. What you're saying is they may not be a seller at all, or only a seller at a certain price. Well, yeah, Benchmark has played it super close to the vest on... I mean, everybody basically wants to position that they're not going to sell, right? Because that's, that's sort of the sort of power play so i'm i remain i'm i'm waiting to see how much they sell but but yes i think that's right that they 
they are they're treating it like you know it's a public stock like there are certain prices where it makes sense to buy and there are certain prices where it makes sense to sell and it really depends on the price and how could we say that we want to sell if you're going to pay you know charge us too little um which i think okay. is a super interesting dynamic Okay, so remind me where we stand now from a governance standpoint <laughs> of this of this company. Who is on the board? Who's running the company? Yeah, remind yeah, us of all of yeah. that. Um, real quick on the deal, I just want to say, I, we also have to talk, Dragoneer and General Atlantic, two investment firms, also sort of major parts of the deal I want to make clear. I mean, SoftBank is taking the board seats. Uh, they're the sort of bigger investor, but Dragoneer, I think through a special purpose vehicle is sort of bringing in money to to buy shares also. So it's worth mentioning them. Um, so they also would be buyers in this. Yeah, exactly. Offer. So okay, it's not I just see. SoftBank. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, governance. Ooh. So governance was tied into this whole deal. I mean, that part of what people wanted were reforms. And when we say governance at Uber, a lot of it is what is, you know, co-founder Travis Kalanick's role at the company. So a lot of the governance questions are about sort of his power and influence at the company. So there was sort of this dual negotiation around approving the SoftBank deal and approving a slate of governance reforms written by Uber's CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, and Goldman Sachs to basically uh, sort of change how Uber is run. That, that, that's Uber's new CEO who yeah. was just hired yeah. a month or so right. ago. So, yeah. so he's, he's the CEO. He was, you know sort of the dark horse candidate, you know, I, there were all these, it, it's Jeff Immelt seemed of GE seemed like a likely candidate, uh, seemed like he had Kalanick support, Meg Whitman of uh, HBE certainly had benchmark support. And those two candidates were, you know, in the headlines, sort of being positioned back and forth. And then uh, Dara was essentially, you know, the compromise candidate who came in in September, and it's been trying to sort of figure everything out. Um, he has a very shallow leadership bench at the moment. He needs to hire a CFO. He needs to hire a new general counsel. He, does, he needs a senior vice president for engineering. They also need a independent board chairperson. So sort of on every front, he's sort of understaffed. Um, and meanwhile, you know, the board is absolutely insane. Last question. Give me a prediction here. I realize reporters are not really in the prediction business, but like, how does this end? Does SoftBank get this deal done? All the board changes go through, and they end up with fifteen percent of the company, or at least the vision fund. I think it goes through. I think a lot of the heavy lifting has been done. I mean, Travis and Benchmark came to an agreement around governance, which was super complicated. The board is approved to. Board seats for SoftBank. I think a lot of the hardest stuff is getting done. And now it's positioning around price. Um, so I'm optimistic that it will happen. But in Uberland, you know, <laughs> everything goes crazy and goes wrong. It's so. really, I mean, it's a complete fascinating story <laughs> that such an enormous company at this point, a company with a $70 billion, whether or not that's made up, that number, <laughs> the company is huge, is going through such massive transition on the fly at the highest levels and just keep the, but the company doesn't shut down you know it just it just has to keep on moving with all of the major players 
shifting like this. And I mean all of them. You just described. There's seemingly no leadership. No, and it's all new leadership that needs to come right, in here. Right. I, I, I struggle to think of an example off the top of my head of at this size and magnitude like this. I, right. Nothing jumps so, to mind. And it's so big. I mean, this deal could be $10 billion changing hands, right? I mean, this is an enormous deal. Like, the largest... I think private stock transaction ever. Uh, this is like crazy. So yeah, the the fact that this is happening at a company that's been so dysfunctional under new management with a lot of empty board seats that it needs to fill with, you know, board members openly suing each other. Um, you know, yeah, it's amazing that this is even happening and, and the stakes are certainly super high. Eric Newcomer, Bloomberg Technology Reporter, thank you very much for a fascinating story on that take. We'll, we'll stay in touch on this one and keep you guys posted on exactly how this develops. That'll do it for this week. Uh, thank you, all, as always, for listening. If you have any ideas uh, for future episodes or guests, feel free to email me, asherman6 at Bloomberg.net, uh, and follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Eric, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, it's just Eric Newcomer, uh, and Newcomer is like the word, N-E-W-C-O-M-E-R. You can catch all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or any app you use to listen to podcasts, also on Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal. And remember to rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance. It helps more people find the show. Sarah Patterson is our producer. See you next week. See you next week.